Digital media plays a huge part in the way that we connect with each other globally. Less traditional sources of media like podcasting and YouTube give us a way of connecting with others and share our stories in a more unfiltered way. Today I'll be talking to Jamie Beebe and Jake Deptula of the Strictly Stalking podcast about how they've helped stalking survivors speak out against their victimizers and how the experience has changed the way they see the world. From Storic Media, you're listening to Codename Siren, a true crime podcast with Nina Hobson. So the story goes, I wanted to do a true crime podcast because I listened to them, you know, probably 20 out of the 24 hours of the day. And so I called Jake because we had wanted to do a project together. We had met and wanted to do a project together. I called him and I was like, hey, I really want to do a true crime podcast, you know, and started researching it. And within a couple of days had written out a deck and, you know, we talked it over and took it over to a production company. And that was kind of like, boom, there you go. Let's do it. And now you know a lot about the crime of stalking. Yes. Well, I think that's kind of, you know, where we're a little bit more unusual in some ways is that we've kind of been learning with our listeners. And I think that helps us sometimes like ask our questions. I've never been stalked. uh, Luckily, thank God. There had been podcasts that had been doing specials or individual episodes about stalking. They'd cover certain cases. Um, You know, there's, there's some pretty famous cases out there, like the tragic stalking and murder of Rebecca Schaefer and Teresa Saldana, and ones that are known within the film and television world, you know, basically famous figures in this world. But once we got into it, you know, you go further than that, and you go further than what you've learned in film and television, and you realize there are a whole lot of people out there suffering, and there are a whole lot of people experiencing trauma from this. And I was so ignorant to the fact of even being able to understand, like if, if I ever had a stalker, anyone in my family had a stalker or friends or significant others, what would I do? I had no clue what to do. You know, you think call 911, they'll take care of it. That's not how it works. You know, it's a very, very complicated crime. And the laws, unfortunately, are very slow to catch up. What do you think you have learned yourselves about the crime of stalking? You know, I, I think for me, the biggest takeaway is that I wouldn't have known what to do if I was stalked. Uh, I mean, there's so many variables to it, and every time it's different. So I don't think I would have known who to call or, or what to do. And then, you know, also the fact that anyone can be stalked at any time, anywhere. The variables are just, there's there's no exact model for it. You'd think that these are like one-and-done incident-based. And not understanding the length of a stalking situation, some last weeks, some last months, some last years, some last decades, when you really get into that fabric, you understand the time, the energy, the focus, and the financial penalty that a stalking survivor faces against this. We've gotten into a new era of cyber stalking. Cyber stalking is not just harassment online. It's not just you know, I don't like how you look or the continued sort of trolling, it can be paralyzing to someone's business. 
it can go even further than that. It can get to the kids. It can really ruin your entire social life, your outlook, your livelihood. And something that stalkers can do is exploit this for the world to see. So we're in a new era of stalking, unfortunately. Like I, if I had my druthers, this show wouldn't exist, but we are literally, Jamie and I are at the tip of the iceberg when it comes to cases. We've covered over 160. And if you can imagine that percentage on the listeners that we have percentage on the cases, I mean, it is unfortunately just growing and growing and growing. Because you are focusing on a certain crime and, you know, like other podcasts, like you say, stalking could be a special or they just do one episode on it. Um, But you are focused on that. And clearly there's plenty of content, sadly, to keep going. When you look at these stories and you look of the sort of threshold that people have to go through, okay? So they're in a stalking situation. They don't know what to do. They call the police. The police either help them, don't help them, whatnot. Maybe they have a lawyer they can consult if it gets even further than that. But a lot of times what we find is people will search out stalking online and they'll come across stalking shows, stalking podcasts. Obviously, ours is the first that comes up. So by the time they get to us, I can only imagine what kind of fear or pain or anxiety or suffering that they've gone through once they get to the point of coming to our show. And that's when we get them at that point. It is even another step of bravery for them to step forward and share that story. Like they, a lot of times stalking survivors keep things private because once they go out with it, they don't A, want to believe it's real. B, they don't want to involve family, friends, or anyone in their circle. But by the time they get to us and they share their story, it becomes this therapeutic experience for them. So this is, I think, what tends to resonate about the show is how freeing it is to be able to express that, yes, you've been traumatized and yes, you're not going to take this anymore. And you're going to get this out to people that you're going to help yourself through working through the trauma, but you're also going to be in a position where you're going to reach out to others and say, we're not alone. Which is one of the things that when we talked before about stalking, you know, that's one of the actual really big points is it doesn't matter who it is that you share it with, but sharing it is such a, a big thing. And and your show is obviously allowing people to do that. Have you had any incidents from having any of your guests that it's helped them get over or past a stalker? I think it's helped a lot of people that have come on the show. We've gotten a lot of feedback from that. You know, it's made them feel like a weight is lifted off their shoulders. I think it's hard for people to put stalking into a form that people that haven't been stalked can understand. It's very hard to understand, you know, and you don't understand the emotional aspects of it. And it's even hard to understand the, you know, the timeline, like, and then what happened? And then what happened? Because that's how you tell a story, right? But it's not like that in stalking. It's like, and then this happened, but this was happening, and then this could have happened, <laughs> you know, so it's it's all over the place. So I think it helps a lot of people to, you know, make it more concise, make it into a storyline. You know, it, it is a weight lift off your shoulders, kind of like telling a horrible secret, it, and it sucks. It shouldn't be like that. It should be something that you can talk about and you should feel free to talk about. You've obviously spoken to lots of victims. Do you, what what's your view on what society views stalking and the crime of stalking? I think that... People don't really understand the true aspect. I think there's unfortunately a lot of things going on in media, online, that tend to weaken the severity of the crime due to romanticizing of stalking, due to 
not really understanding the full gamut and the impact of what it does to people's lives. Um, for me, it's like, I wish that from a stigma standpoint, that more people would feel comfortable to step forward, reach out and get help. The number one thing that we say is that you've got to tell someone, family member, friend, law enforcement, it's always good to be in a position to express this to someone, especially if you're going through anything remotely relating stalking, harassment. Uh, You just don't know what's going to happen next. And if you can put yourself in a place where you can share that with someone, you can start to like build up your case. You can start to get that off your shoulders, but also from a safety standpoint. You know, we're always talking about this as like, hey, share your location with somebody if you're taking an Uber ride or anything like that. The same thing with stalking. You have to share these incidents. And a lot of times they don't want to do it because they don't want to be judged. They don't want to be put in a position. Well, you know, like we had uh, uh, recently had a male stalking survivor on. And part of the reason males don't come forward with stalking is they tend to get harassed pretty badly by the people that are supposed to help them. It's like, well, what did you do to her? Especially if it's a, it's a female. So it kind of gets reversed in that way where you get put in a position where you don't want to come forward. So if you look at that and you think of how many people don't want to get judged or don't want to be put in a position where they're going to be re-victimized, that's one of the reasons in probably most crimes that people don't come forward. Obviously, I spoke with you and I investigate stalking and I've been a victim of of stalking too. So, um, you know, for me, talking to you guys who are what I would consider very knowledgeable on the on the situation, and I would talk to you too. You make it very easy for somebody to tell their story too. It's definitely individual. I mean, every stalking case is different, but also when people come on the show, they're at a different place in their stalking. You know, as we know, stalking doesn't a stalker doesn't just leave and go away like I'm done now. You know, after three months or something, it can go on forever. It can go on until the stalker dies, goes to jail, or moves on to someone else. So there isn't something that we can tell everybody in that way. Just, you know, the basics. Like, yes, tell someone, stay, you know, stay, do these certain things to stay safe, you know, change up your routine and, you know, all the advice that we normally go through. But there isn't a certain takeaway from every episode that we can say, okay, now go do this, which is why stalking is so unusual, I think, in, you know, relation to other crimes. Yeah. And, and, um, I think Jay, you touched on it about the internet and, you know, the different ways that there are. And when we spoke, um, on your podcast, the police didn't really take stalking seriously back in those days. There wasn't the social media thing that is now, which again, you know, allows somebody to to be a faceless stalker. And um, and I I think Jamie, you you said it exactly right. You know, having someone stalk you who knows everything about you is scary. And also having somebody you don't know who it is. You know, you're walking down the road and you're looking over your shoulder. Is that that person that sent me that abuse last night? Is that and and, and dating apps? Um, you know, you go on a dating app and you don't want to go on another date. You stop talking to that person for whatever reason, and then it's the constant messages and it's you know they've taken that rejection. Now, again, are they stalking? Are they just 
pissed off? Are they annoyed? What, whatever it might be. And it may go from being pissed off to become a stalking incident. So I think that now the way society is and the way that young people behave on social media, it actually opens up a bigger door for stalkers. I think social media is a double-sided coin, though, um, in that respect. You know, one thing that we've noticed so much recently is, you know, you go on TikTok, you know, hashtag, like, my stalking story, and there's thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of stories, and these people are coming forward in their, you know, two-minute, I don't know how long TikToks are, (laughs) two-minute TikTok or whatever, and they're telling their story, and that's amazing, you know, that means that they're not hiding. Um, you know, they have this this video of the story, you know, so it's out there, you know, and they can get help. Um, and I see, I'll read in the comments, you know, people are like, okay, like, try this or go, you know, go to this police station, keep going to the police station, you know, file this report. And so you see this community coming together because of social media. And I think that it does allow these people to, you know, come out and talk about it. But then, like you said, there's the stalkers that can hide behind that. And I mean, like, I'm terrible. I do tag everything. Like, tomorrow I'll be here for three hours between this time and this time. And then I tag the place. So you have the address, you know. Jamie, we're going to have a conversation off it. I don't advise doing. <laughs> and I really should stop. Um, I'm totally terrible. I'm terrible about it. But, um, but you know, so being that, there is, I think that it's such a fine line. And where do you draw that line between being open to where you can talk about your stalker or talk about, you know, something horrible that's happened to you or something great that's happened to you, whatever. Um, And then, you know, the person that could be about to stalk you or stalking you, so you can't tag anything, you can't post anymore. You know, there's, I think it is a a fine line and I don't think that there's a surefire, well, there's no way to stop someone who wants to stalk you because it could be an absolute stranger online. It could be anyone. So I I do think that there's good and bad for sure. And I think social media is across the board with all sorts of different crimes. I had a discussion yesterday around the solving of a murder and how the new police officer, as opposed to the old police officers, are all about social media, computers, DNA, whereas I'm still get out on the streets and search for a piece of hair that may not be there. But, you know, it's trying to bring the two together. But I I agree, you know, I think it's great that there is that opportunity. But again, it's about being safe. And if you don't know who that stalking person is and, you know, not stopping living your life because that's what they want and you can't do that because then they've won. Um, But just putting elements around yourself to be safe. Um, so that if you don't know who's stalking you, they're not going to know where you are. Being aware of your surroundings, that's, for me, is such a key thing, whether it's walking out your door and going left instead of right that you've done for 25 years or, you know, just checking in your car. I mean, I, I do that naturally because of my job, but it's just like the little things. And if something is wrong or you don't, it's it's the gut. Go to a police station. Don't go to your friend's house because then they know where you're friendly. You know, that's how. And it, and if it's just somebody's going in the same direction, they were not stalking you. So what? Doesn't matter. You bring up a really good point is one of the things that people don't realize about stalking is how much you have to change your daily habits and patterns, even when there is no evidence of you at that moment being stalked. 
And that's one of those unfortunate, uncomfortable truths is that it impacts your life beyond just the incident or beyond just the text or someone you think is following you or the phone calls. It is literally having to change every part of your daily life in order to prevent giving any access or view or any information to someone who could be stalking you. And that's that's not fair. I mean, that's not how it should be. We should be allowed to live exactly how we want. But on the other hand, you know, if there is some risk, you've got to protect yourself and your family. And hopefully it's not going to be long term. And I think I, I may have mentioned a client that I have and been stalked for 12 years. And was we found out that he was going to go to a funeral of a very dear friend of hers. And she, our advice was you don't go to the funeral. And that's sad, but it meant that if she was there, was he then going to follow her back home, get her number plate, you know, so all of those kind of things. But I think little things that you can change, you should change and situation awareness all the time. Well, and I don't think that you have to be thinking that you're stalked to, to change some of those things too. I mean, when, one thing that I've noticed, and I travel solo a lot throughout the, the world, um, a lot of different countries. So I think that um, changed a lot of my viewpoints too, is like just the awareness level. And, you know, changing things up isn't a bad thing once in a while. You know, you, you're, you're in that world more than it you were because you're talking to victims all the time. So you can see the extent of what's really going on and it makes you it makes you change things. It makes you think differently. Jamie, you said you had a, you know, you had this obsession with true crime. You were listening all the time to to, true crime. Um, Why? What's the obsession? It fascinates me from being someone who's lived it forever. I I honestly don't know. Even um, in high school, actually in junior high, I think it was, I was watching is this going to really age me? Um, I was watching like Sally Jesse Raphael, I think it was. And she was like, hey, if anyone wants to write to death row inmates, like here's the, and the address popped up on the screen. I was like, oh shit, okay. So I write it down and I was maybe, I don't know, 13, 14. Uh, and so I started writing to death row inmates um, for years as a, as a kid. Um, I don't know. And, and, you know, used my address and everything. I don't know if my parents just like, I probably just got the mail first and they didn't really realize what I was doing because, you know, I don't know. But, you know, I talked to these guys for some of them for years. And I guess I just I don't know where the initial fascination came in. I think because it's just so taboo and I'm kind of just the, that type of person. I like taboo stuff, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll try a lot of different things and I'll walk into a lot of situations. I think that. Some people, a lot of people won't maybe walk into. (laughs) And I just, I love, you know, learning. And you can't really learn about crime other than speaking to criminals. That's kind of where it stems from is just if it's something, it's something I don't know about, you know. Um, But yeah, since I was a kid, I was like, oh, wow, hey, I write to them. Hey, like, so did you kill someone? And they all said no. A couple of them said yes. But uh, most of them said no, of course not. You know, they they were um, absolutely innocent. And some of them, I was like, oh, they kind of do sound innocent. But I don't know what my 14-year-old self was thinking.
Is it a case that you can look at it from the outside and it, it's fascinating, but you're not in it? Or is it is it the psyche of the person? Is it because I've grown up in this world? So people say to me, why do you do what you do? Well, I actually don't really know myself. It's just what I've done for 30 years and I can't see myself doing anything different. You know, Nina, I've been thinking about this for a while and recently it started to basically funnel back. I don't know if it was like sort of a repressed memory or anything like that, but the case that really captured my attention, this will age me as well, was the uh, kidnapping and murder of Adam Walsh. Um, that particular case, I remember when I was a kid, it was all over the news and it was all over, you know, this this family looking for their son, basically, John and Ravey Walsh. And I remember at the time, I was about Adam's age at the time, and I remember just the news just covering it. And once, you know, they found Adam's body, basically, um, in an unfortunate condition, it was something that really started to seep into my young self as the world is not a very safe place. I'm the oldest only boy. I have three younger sisters. So I, I did, I don't get the same safety talks that any of my sisters got. I don't, you know, of course, I, you know, I, I've never gotten one of those talks. I give those talks. I don't get those talks. So that being said, that was probably what really woke up my, I'd, I'd say my true crime spirit into what the world could be like and ultimately what I would need to watch out for. And then I would say probably cut to later, much like anybody else, you start to get fascinated by why people do these things. Um, I remember in high school when when Jeffrey Dahmer had been caught, and you start to let the horrific nature of these crimes seep into your head and how someone could not only get away with this under the nose of neighbors, potential friends, the community, but also escape the police who could have caught him in the moment and let him go. Call it poor training, call it not caring, call it homophobia based on the particular incident when they that somebody they thought it was his lover get away and he convinced them that they were having a fight and and whatnot. But these are those those elements. So when you start to start to look at those patterns and especially how the media covers it, for me, I was like, well, going even further, what if you were being in a position where you could find the survivors of crimes and let them come forward and let them share in their own words, because the media has a way of glorifying and idolizing the perpetrators. Whereas we're in an age now where that's not working as good anymore. That's not acceptable as much anymore. It's really about the victim's voice and coming forward. So I'm very grateful and blessed to be in a position to allow and to invite these brave survivors to come forward on Strictly Stalking and be able to share their stories. So I think in a way, long answer, but it's kind of come full circle for me in a way to allow that and to also take a responsible and ethical role of a media figure in order to allow them to share their story in their own words. Is there one story that stood out? Because people say to me, what's the worst thing that you've done? What's the worst case? And actually what society would consider the worst case wasn't necessarily the one that stuck with me. But is there any particular case that's really stood out with you that after you've heard the story? A couple of our very first stories were like Lenora Claire, you know, the safety chick. But 
the thing is, like, we, those first couple, we became really good friends with some of our first couple guests. Um, and especially, like, Lenora Claire, we still go to her and ask her. She's become such an advocate. She was stalked, is still being stalked by this horrible person. And, you know, she does so much advocacy and she helps so many other people. And I think that, you know, she kind of paved the way for us learning from our guests, she teaches us very well. And we still ask her for advice on things sometimes because she's such an amazing advocate and she works so hard for all the victims. But I think, you know, having having her on as, as one of our first episodes, we got into that realm where, okay, like we have these, you know, victims, we'll say. Uh, we call them survivors because they have survived. But we have these people on and it's not to tell a salacious story. It's really more to learn from them. You know, we're not trying to make it into this big dramatic thing. And that's why, you know, sometimes people are, they come on as, um, you know, anonymously because of safety issues or whatever else. And that kind of stuff just isn't important to us. It's more about the basics of the story and then what they've been able to do to do to get to the point that they're at. You know, one thing that we always ask at the end of our episodes is like, what's your life like now? So that we can show that, yes, you've been stalked. Yes, these horrible things have happened. But look how good you're doing. Like, there's always hope, you know. And so I think that that those first couple episodes really stick with me because it paved the way for us to really just learn. Anytime that our cases deal with child abuse or sexual assault, it's a very difficult thing for me to ingest. You know, we're there listening to our guest and we want to give them the opportunity and show this brave face. But for me, it's difficult sometimes to ingest and hear those words because you want to do more. You want to help more. And we are helping and we are providing a service, but there's a certain level of triggering of anger and depression and disappointment that these people have been failed by the system or by those in their lives. So for me, um, I can't gauge like one case being more impactful. I think as a group, it's something that for me is far more powerful than one individual episode. There are people that have made a huge impact in my life. And basically, as Jamie mentioned, we do still keep in contact with um, who are some of our great friends. But at the same point, everyone deserves a place on our platform who has gone through this. So for me, it's a little bit more about the whole encompassing thing than identifying like one episode, if this is more impactful, because we're not into the, the exploitation business, we're into the advocacy business. So it puts us in a position where we need to sort of throw out that flag, be open and let everyone know that you don't have to have the most colorful or salacious story to step forward. It's about the impact. You know, we, we talk about this is that most of the time these people are very brave. They're scared, they're nervous. And when they come forward, they have to feel that they don't have to share this in a way that is overtly entertaining. Life doesn't always work out like that. You know, people come forward to us and a lot of times they want things in a three act structure. Well, life doesn't work out like that. Okay. You need to come forward and share these details because it, the truth is in the details. The truth is in understanding the true impact that this is not a one and done crime. This 
potentially goes on for years, if not a lifetime, unfortunately. Yeah. And I, you know, who's to say what impacts somebody more than someone else? Um, And I worked in child abuse for seven years and people say to me, you saw horrible things. Yes, I did. I, I dealt with child murders, but there's a particular case that people who understood my background and my history and know what I have seen would think had, would have impacted me more than the the particular case that that did impact me that I the one time I could not interview the offender because I would have killed him myself but it it wasn't like the worst crime it was it was what all the other elements that went on with him and then with me so I I get what you're saying you know it's everybody deals with it differently too and you know, somebody getting five text messages and somebody being followed home five times, the five times followed home could be a lot less impactful than the text messages for that particular person. And I think that's something that people and the police and society need to also try and understand. It's like, you know, that person, are you sure that they were raped because they didn't behave like a rape victim? And that's an ongoing battle that I have with a number of law enforcement people. So I think that's, it's fantastic that you guys have have got this understanding. You've come from not having luckily been part of it to now you have a, a great understanding and you're obviously all about your victims and your survivors. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Jamie and Jake have managed to turn their curiosity about the subject of stalking into a great resource for survivors, as well as a sounding board for people dealing with the stigma of coming out against their accusers. We wish them continued success in their journey to further the dialogue between stalking survivors and empower those that have yet to speak out. You can find the Strictly Stalking podcast on all major podcast platforms. Until next time, I'm Nina Hobson, and this has been Codename Siren. Siren.